When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so we return after yet another double game weekends out. We've had disastrous punting on a strike from a struggling team has led to utter failure all round as Watford's Emmanuel... Wait a minute, hang on, sorry. I was reading the script from Game Week 23. Hold on just a minute. Hello, so we return after yet another double game week ends out. Yep, so we've had disastrous punting on a striker from a struggling team has led to utter failure all round as Burnley's Vout Veghorst does the square root of bugger all while picking up yellow cards. As uh, Burnley, shockingly, conspires to disappoint everybody. Will we ever learn? Hmm, maybe not. Anyway, the three of us are back for a yearly favourite this week. And it's also a cause for celebration and misery this episode. The good is our 200th podcast this week. A bit unbelievable, I think, to think, Nick, that we were sat five years ago, drunkenly, in my flat, recording that podcast on that old blue snowball I borrowed from work and releasing it out into the world. More reflections on that later. And the misery, sadly, this is Anthony's last episode as co-host before he graduates from his FPL nonsense and disappears out into the ether, I suppose, of the real world. Yep, joined by all three of us today. Uh, first up, Nick, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Definitely a massive achievement to make it to 200 podcasts. So yeah, definitely fitting that we get the whole gang back together for one last hurrah. Um, of course, we are Who Got The Assist. You can find Tom on Twitter at WGTA underscore FPL. If you want to follow me, even though I don't tweet any longer, you can find me at WGTA underscore Nick and also Anthony for his last pod as co-host, sadly. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at FPL Stag. So, yeah, Anthony, how are you doing? I seem to have been given a script here. It goes, congratulations, everyone, on reaching 200. I am in tears that this is my last podcast. I mean, I am really inconsolable. No, 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 not really. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's great to be with you. Lads. Like Stephen uh, Hawking voice. <laughs> <laughs> Don't no. read the scripts, Anthony. Don't tell everyone. <laughs> yeah, no. One last quirky game week to round out the norm of quirkiness in this ever quirkier world, I guess. Um, that's what we've really had in the last week or two um, with this game week. So the plan for tonight's pod is we'll start off with the usuals. Uh, game week wreckage talk, season objective chatter, mini league update, market forces, and then the meat of the show is, as Tom said, the annual favourite that is the Risk Profile Show. So this is the fourth edition at this point that we've done this. So there's decent data to look at and compare and contrast over the past few seasons. We will have a correspondence section later on in the programme, of course. And the listeners' questions as well on the latest double game week that is upcoming. And to finish, we will turn to the navel gazing and all the good news that the podcast has reached 200 episodes. And of course, that there's an upgrade in hosts too. So first of all, we will kick on with the game week reviews. Uh, so unfortunately everything is still in progress so i haven't been able to get a, an image actually no burnley have just finished uh, just lost 2-0 hooray that's that's fantastic um <laughs> <laughs> let's uh give, give a quick update on how we've gone uh nick do you want to go first i believe you, you're not on the free you weren't on the free hit because you're free hitting this week aren't you 
Yeah, did I score the lowest in? Is this that? What I, don't, I don't. I don't know. I don't know actually. <laughs> um, I don't think you yeah, can possibly great, have scored lower than me. <laughs> great start. We didn't have time to script this, but yeah, um, fifty-three points all out for me. Uh, you know, I didn't free hit, so I was actually relatively happy that it wasn't worse than that. You know, I, I kind of got a red arrow, but it's only a tiny red arrow. When I didn't free hit, and I managed to make my moves to have eleven players. Uh, you know, I got a few random players that did well for me, like Foden got me seven points. So I didn't fall into sort of the Mares, Sterling trap like others did. Son got me nine. Davis got me five. Got a clean sheet from De Gea. Six points from him. So that's pretty reasonable. Just where it kind of all got a bit unstuck was actually following the herds of the three hitters by taking a hit and bringing in two Burnley players and, and captaining for Kirsten and bringing in Tarko who got me one point in the first game and just conceded two to get me one point in the second so yeah t- certainly targeting the Burnley players is a bit of a disaster but overall you know even though it's a red arrow I'm not going to complain too much because I haven't spaffed my uh, free hit on this particular game week so you know you live and learn and move on. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, go on, go on, you go, you go Anthony, I suppose. Yeah, you definitely did better than me, so you might as well go next. Uh, I got 37 points, that included a hit, so it was 41 minus 4. Yeah, another another disaster. There's, there's, no re- there's no way to uh, spin this one. Only a rank change of minus 13% or so, which I guess tells you just how poorly everyone else has done too. The real difference for my team is that I didn't have a Foden and I didn't have any Spurs coverage whatsoever and of course having no Son and Kane this game week was a recipe for disaster in goals I had De Gea that was a lovely six points but I benched Foster which would have been a few more points if he got 10 um, my defence was not too bad in that I played both Cancelo and Laporte so I got 16 from the two of those combined but then Saïs and Veltman gave me nothing in midfield it was a trio of disaster with Bowen, Fernandez, and Alan. Uh, combining for seven points together and then up top I had Broja who I'd brought in for a hit no good Dennis two points no good and Veghorst captain which is six points on live FPL right now also no good so overall yeah not not a great double game week um, as they went I didn't feel like I got caught by anything it's more if anything wasn't aggressive enough I could have perhaps moved on Fernandez and moved on to one of the city, city assets or San. But I didn't do that. And to be honest, I might easily have got caught in those aforementioned city traps with Sterling or whoever. So maybe this would have been just as bad no matter what I did. Mm. Well, caught in city traps. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I can't imagine how that feels. Oh, wait, I can because I was. So I did free hit this week. I've come out of it with a 55, uh, which is um, so an 8% rank rise from 210K to 190K. So that was well worth it. Um Basically, I, obviously, as I said last week during the solo babble, I had six players out, so I thought it was worth doing. I didn't want to sell any of, sell any of, sell any of those players that I did have out, um, so I free hit. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, not been great, really. Uh, I think it's probably the same for everybody. It was a bit of a saving grace. Uh, Forster, I put in goal. Uh, got a clean sheet. Uh, Cancelo with a nine-pointer, which is very nice. Uh, I went for me and Tarkovsky because I thought, yeah, I want a bit of a bench. So I'm not going to go with Pope um, and one of the defenders. I'm going to go for double defenders and hope for a goal in the set-piece set lottery. That did not happen. In midfield, Fernandes somehow blanked. Somehow. I mean, if you look at his numbers, it's absolutely ridiculous that he blanked. And if you watch Match of the Day back, oh, wow. Wow, well, what a performance and you know, just spurning chances left, right and centre, really. Um, the Man City double midfield I went with was Raheem Sterling, who got a clean sheet, brilliant. And Riyad Mahrez, who was predicted by everybody to start, 
didn't do so um oh, and God, yeah yeah so and <laughs> so yeah i mean it was one of, those, one of those where i had like all the configurations as you do on the free here i have a double um a double defense sat around there i, I, did, I had one team with those two and i had shay adams in sort of bro yeah Breuer, which i didn't didn't go with um Hey, um, so yeah, uh, Sterling and Mares for grand total of four points, which was fantastic. Uh, Son did do something, of course. Up front, I had Breuer, um, Kane, the 11 pointer, and Veghorst. So the irony is that the two players who did best for me, other than Son, are two players are the only two players that survived from my original team. The rest of the team did the square root of Nuffle. And on the bench, uh, on the bench indeed, um, I had Gunn, Elanga, uh, Ben Johnson, who got a clean sheet, and Daniel Amati, who got eight points tonight. So just sums it up, really. Absolutely hilarious. You can only laugh at this point, really. It's it's just, yeah, whatever. But I'm well set uh, for the next few weeks anyway. Um, so we shall see. Objective time. Uh, fun time, Anthony. What did you do this time? Did you do anything to do with your objectives? Do you even care anymore? Um, the objectives, they're, they're definitely dimming from view very quickly. I did captain with the herd, I guess, with the vague horse disaster, given that he had a, you know, an EO in the top uh, 10k of 160 odd percent. So I'll consider that objective matched. And to be perfectly honest with you, going with the herd has largely played well. And it's the days where I've maybe gone against the the not so much the herd, but gone against gone against the herd by see, by chasing the algos, which they, you know, often they're aligned, especially when Salah is the one that everyone's going for, but yeah. they aren't totally so. And I think when I've gone with the algorithms over the herd, I feel I've been punished more often than not this season. That's kind of just something I've kind of observed. I haven't done any analysis of it, um, but here we are anyway. Uh, not particularly, not a particularly good result this week with that captaincy. Uh, pretty much all the rest of them then, like don't be afraid to transfer out elite players if they've dropped off. I don't really feel like that was a question this week. Like I, I don't feel like Bruno Fernandes is has dropped off or is underperforming he's obviously had um good game weeks in relatively recent beer in the recent past and also as you say tom talking about just any sort of eye test even actually the statistics about manchester united are bearing out that someone like bruno fernandez or indeed other united attackers do merit a place in an fpl team the returns just aren't coming with it yet um, there's an awful lot of questions to be asked about the dressing room there about how things are organized at the club uh, if players are playing under rangnick etc 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 but I do feel like Fernandez was at least meriting his place, and I didn't. There wasn't a question of being afraid to get rid of him. The timings and the play style, like max ten hits total, like this is this is basically the pod which explains why that was just an impossible thing to do this season. I've broken through the ten hit barrier, and I'm going to continue to do so. And in terms of transfers, late, late on a Friday night or Saturday morning, I don't think I was too bad on that um, this game week. But to be perfectly honest with you, the game week started so long ago that I don't actually know anymore. Yeah, no, I know the feeling. Um, for me, Captain C, I did what Mikel's algorithm told me to do, and the other two don't count because I've re it this week. Um, Nick, we have, haven't heard from you for in a while. Haven't heard from you in a while. Uh, how are you doing? A slow march towards your usual sort of just about in top hundred k sort of uh, classic Harris sort of season. Yeah, pretty much. I'm, I'm kind of lurking in that same position I spend my entire FPL career in, <laughs> which is about 75k overall rank. So pretty standard from me as far as how FPL is going, a bit better than you guys. But, you know, nothing to kind of shout and sing about. Uh, yeah, I think with the objectives, I think my target was similar really with you guys in terms of the captaincy, which was just about playing it safe, trusting in big hitters and, and not trying to be too clever, which, um, you know, Obviously, this week, I captained alongside the Herb with Veghurst, so didn't really, uh, wasn't too clever, even though it didn't work out in the end, at least a kind of, you know, matched objective. And um, 
yeah, in terms of sort of going for momentum picks, I feel like I transferred in Vekhurst because I felt like there was a bit of a momentum dri- driven by the double. Again, you know, I don't know if I'd have gone with that if I hadn't kind of felt like, you know, the FOMO of, of getting in the Bernie players. So I kind of fell for that trap a little bit with the double up especially. But it was, it was the minus four sort of was made literally 10 minutes before the deadline when I realised I was playing Michael Keane against Manchester City as part of my 11 men, <laughs> which I had to, yeah. I felt like I had felt like I had to rectify pretty quickly. Looking yeah, at it. I was yeah. like, well, that's a joke. And then well, Keane ends up getting the same as Tarko, ironically, which I really couldn't predict. Um, but yeah, my other objective was just to listen to other people and the masses more and not try and be too clever. And, and I think this week I kind of, I didn't go too experimental. I kind of just, you know, listen to what everyone else was doing. You know, I saw that I didn't have any Bernie defenders. So I was like, you know, well, a lot of people are doubling up on this free hit. So I got a bit nervous about that and thought, actually, I'll get one of them in just for coverage. And yeah, it didn't work out. Yeah. Because it's Burnley and we, and we all fell for that trap. But we did. We did. One of those that's going to go down a filed away in a cabinet, a, a drawer of a file cabinet that I call, looked like a good idea at the time. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it goes in there with Duffy and and, and Dennis and all these other double game weeks. All of all of those <laughs> terrible, terrible choices from the past. Right, it, it, it is nice to have tradition, though, isn't it? Like, there's always just this shamble, but it's nice that it's it's happened again. I, I kind of I kind of find it funny. Negredo comes to mind as well from a good oh Negredo, yeah, that was one of them, wasn't it? Dear me, it's double game week did nothing, and the next game week he scored against difficult opposition. That's all I remember about that one. But yeah, it does seem to kind of have a way, doesn't it? Right, mini league update. I think we'll try to do one quickly. Obviously, the dust is settling, but I think Anthony, everyone is in order, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, people are still flying. That's pretty much the good. No- that's pretty much the good news. It was, uh, a, you know, people have done well. Um, fifty, sixty-ish points is kind of the norm in there. James Corral has actually sneaked into the top ten now at fifty-five on his free hit. Um, Sam McAlfey is just ahead of him. He has one thousand nine hundred eight points. Uh, Harry Solomons is in eighth with Kadira Pindrop. He has 60 points this game week. Uh, he has the same number of points as Troy Hope, who has um, who also captained Vegor 60 points as well this week. And indeed, also on 1910 points is Tor Evan Pedersen, his team Money Maze. He got 61 this week. Uh, just ahead of them, one point ahead. So in fifth, alone by himself, is Chris Turner, his team, the Grimsby Brothers, or the Brothers Grimsby even. Also Captain Veghorst, also was on his free hit, also probably disappointed, but still 58 points. And fifth in this mini league is pretty bloody good. In fourth and down from third is Brett Taylor's team, I Love Lamptey. He got 60 points, also on his free hit. Ahead of them is is James S who's down from second to third but having not free hit and taken a hit 52 points this week while captaining Veghorst he's done okay really to consolidate his position at the top in second up from fourth is Caleb St. Ather his team credit to the boys got 68 points and he unlike everyone else in the top 10 captained someone that wasn't Veghorst he captained Pope and he got 10 points for his trouble. So fair play nice. to him that was a, a nice gain on the other people's captains and in top Still in position from last week, Hakon Magerness, his team XL11, got 59 points. He captained Veghorst too. A team with Pope, Walkers, Peters, me, Cancello, Sancho de Bruyne, Mares, Son, Veghorst captain, as I said, Broca and Harry Kane for 11 points, leading him there. He also had Amarty benched and Dan Byrne benched, so could have been more there, um, but still good going, 59 points, 1934 points overall. 
Nice. Well played, everybody. I really like Harry Solomon's team name, Kadira Pindrop. That's, that's a very, very I, I good thought, I thought it too, as I said. I was like, I don't think oh. we've seen that one in here before. That was very good. Excellent. Excellent. Hats off to you, Harry. Right. And finally, in this little update section, it's the market forces. I think we can just about get into it. I'm fairly sure that most people weren't waiting on the Burnley results to start making their moves. Well, very Nick, it looks like uh, one man is being brought back in droves. Yeah, it's it's all about Mo Salah this week in terms of the market forces. So, obviously, a few people sold him for the blank with the immediate plan to get him straight back in, which makes sense because it's Mo Salah. But, yeah, he's top of the market forces, 170,000 transfers in um, for him right now at this time of recording. Otherwise, uh, a few other names appearing. Shea Adams is actually second most transferred in, uh, perhaps one that people are targeting on the... Uh, free hit or on the wild cards or whatever because he's got a double game week Southampton actually have a very nice double game week of Aston Villa and Newcastle and whilst lots of people have Broya it's actually been Shea Adams that's been really performing well in the last few weeks he's got uh, three goals and an assist in his last four games so certainly one that's appearing on a lot of people's radar now and also Livermento actually he's the fifth most transferred in player right now uh, with 70,000 transfers in so a lot of people targeting him as well he picked up an assist against um, Everton in game week 26 and then a clean sheet and a couple of bonus points against Norwich in 27 so you know the Livermento wagon seems to be back on after sort of dying a death uh, a few game weeks back so yeah people targeting Southampton there for the double game week. Also, Jimenez, he's the other one that makes up the top five. Um, so, obviously, Wolves have a double game week as well. Crystal Palace and Watford, quite a nice one. But uh, a few question marks there because he didn't actually start the last game. Uh, a little bit of rotation there from Bruno Lage. So, um, when I'm looking at my own three here, I'm wondering about Jimenez and whether he can fit in or I'm a bit worried about some of the other guys like Neto and Podence, Fabio Silva, Trincao, seems like there's a lot of rotation going on at Wolves in terms of their attacking line and, and Huang as well. So uh, definitely one to kind of keep an eye on. Whilst it looks like a great pick, it's just a question mark as to whether he's nailed or not. We don't know. But um, we'll look as well at the sales. So in terms of the transfers out, mostly the West Ham guys, actually, Jared Bowen and Antonio are being heavily sold. People still do own Antonio, surprisingly, uh, with 92,000 transfers out and for him and 97,000 for Bowen. And, and we do have a question on Bowen as well later. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of the a lot of the kind of activities in midfield, isn't it? As you said earlier on, despite you know, Salah being the most transferred in player, um, other than that, it's most midfielders who are being sold. Bowen, Jota, Bruno Fernandes uh, are the three sort of headline ones. You've got that's De Bruyne, uh, Bernardo, Smith Rowe, oddly, are still being sold. There's a lot of players there who it basically looks like there's low people who are free hitters and have now come back to their real team and gone, oh, I need to make some serious changes here. <laughs> Stat. <laughs> well, one thing I would say actually about the Jota being the second most sold midfielder is kind of interesting. I think it kind of shows that the Liverpool triumvirate people are going for is probably two defenders at this point and Salah being their third player um, rather than what I guess what we used to see, which was the the double up in the midfield for Liverpool, probably with Jota and Salah and then your Trent. But Robbo's recent form is probably grabbing attention so much that he's just insides at this point and the third berth is um, seeing mm. Jota being sacrificed. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird one because he has been injured. So you'd have thought that people would have sold him already. Um, you know, they might have sold him for the double game week or for the blank. And then mm-hmm. he did actually play in the League Cup. He came off the bench. So he's back now. But then, you know, Diaz um, also, as you said, he, he really impressed. So there is a bit of 
rotation risk that's starting to build up in, in the uh, Liverpool front three, especially if uh, Firmino's coming back as well. We don't really know if Jota's going to play or not, which isn't ideal. No, certainly not. All right, let's uh, take a break there before we head into the main section of this pod, the risk profiles. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? So we're back and it's into the risk profiles, one of our sort of favourite pods to do. We do it every year. I'm aware we're going for a more feature-led one here to begin with, uh, just because, yeah, you know, double game week and stuff coming up. But that'll be in the questions, of course. And I mean, come on, it's Anthony's last pod. We're going to do something, you know, less itinerant, more fun, aren't we? So uh, why is this useful? Well, there are very few core decisions every year. The way I see it, there are probably about 326. <laughs> 37 transfers you choose 15 starting players you have two wild cards in which you choose 15 players so you have first decisions there 15 free hit players you choose when to play those ships so that's three extra decisions there you have one triple captain one bench boost captain times 38 vice times 38 and four times 37 bench choices you don't have 38 because obviously you bench boost one week so that's 326 this year though you also have an additional free hit so that's also 15 more choices 15 players to choose on a free hit and one choice of when you play it so this year you've had 342 core choices versus 326 in the regular season. Now, hits are different because they're voluntary actions you take on top of this. Long-term listeners remember that me and Nick have spoken about enforced hits versus elective hits in the past. And, um, you know, they're things that compel you to hit, which are not voluntary. They're the, the kind of ones which are enforced, so in an injury, a player being dropped, something like that. And elective is when you kind of think, you know what, I think the player I'm bringing in is going to be better than what I'm getting rid of over the next few weeks or even in the next week because they've got double game week or you know, they've got better fixtures. And you can, of course, elect to do nothing at all. But this pod isn't really about doing nothing. It's about looking at those hits, no matter whether they're elective or enforced, and using them as a barometer for your risk profile. What sort of risk appetite, I guess, you have as a manager? And what can you learn from that? This year in particular has been difficult. The parade of postponements has caused us to, caused us to slightly alter the tiers um, that we normally talk about, Nick, as Nick will mention. And we've got four years worth of poll data to an- examine as well. Lots of anecdotes from Twitter and things like that. And Anthony in a sec will detail how these things may have slightly shifted over time, perhaps reflecting the pandemic uncertainty. But first, so Rick, risk profiles. Nick, can you remind kind of longer term listeners and maybe inform newer listeners what these are? Yeah, certainly. So our hardcore listeners, they'll know this uh, annual feature intently. It's, it's one that I always get wheeled out to do, uh, regardless of what's going <laughs> on. And uh, something we always target on doing around this time of year as well, like looking at the previous poll data, it's always been around January or February that we've kind of done this annual feature. And yeah, risk profiling is, is something that uh, financial institutions will do on their investors just to determine uh, you know, what kind of investor they are and subsequently recommend certain funds based on this assessment. And this is typically done online these days um, and has created the rise of robo-advice firms, which ultimately use an algorithm and they'll make an assessment of your personality and will give you advice based on what they feel your personality is like. And in terms of FPL, we've applied this as we do every year to the FPL sphere by looking at managers and how many hits they've taken over the course of the year and assessing them and providing them with a risk profile label off the back of that. Uh, this year, just to mix it up a little bit, we put a little bit of a crypto spin on it, uh, just to freshen it up, I guess. Um, and apologies as well in advance if crypto is not your thing, as I know it can be a polarizing subject for many. Some view it as 
uh, the future of digital currency. Others view it as a bubble that will burst and, you know, everyone's entitled to their views, whatever. But, um, you know, we've updated as well and we've adapted our categories this year. So normally it's naught to four for cautious and five to eight for moderate. But this year, because it's been so crazy with, with all the cancelled fixtures, all the COVID-19, there's been so many blanks and doubles. We have adapted the numbers a little bit just to... Uh, just to kind of emphasize that and um, we have some very interesting results as well so I guess um, Anthony you've, you've got the numbers uh, from the prior years as well and uh, Tom's just brought it up on the screen as well for people who are watching on YouTube uh, to, to run through here. Yeah absolutely so there's uh, there's quite a lot to get through really with four years of data at this point but kind of maybe the interesting things to note with our trends is looking back to 2018-19 and indeed 2019-20 so the two pre-pandemic seasons that we were doing this analysis for when we took analysis it was actually funnily enough always in pre-game week 23 that we managed to do the analysis in both of those years most people so somewhere between 40 to 60 percent depending on the year took between zero and four hits. So we saw that people were being pretty cautious about taking hits in the pre-pandemic era. And I guess then uh, very few people then in that time as well took anything uh, like you know 15 hits and burned something like 60 points. It just, it wasn't really a thing. It was somewhere between like six and 10% of people that would do that. Last season, we had a pandemic season and things started to change. First of all, I guess that's really emphasized in the number of people that took 15 plus hits. We saw that tick up to about 13 and a half percent. That's a significant uptick. But the majority of people now were being found in the zone of people that had taken between five and eight hits who'd burned 20 to 32 points. About a third of people who listened had taken five to eight hits by, at that point, game week 26. And about 30 percent of people had taken um, just on you know under four hits or four hits indeed. So what we were finding there was that there were so many people who were burning 36 points or more, taking over nine hits, uh, 37.5%. This season, uh, things are mirroring that. So what we've done is we've obviously, we're taking this data a little bit later this season, unfortunately. It's, it's pre-game week 28. So we've opened up the parameters, but also because we're looking at a COVID season, we're trying to understand where people are coming at things. And so we've had to, you know, even change like the maximal hit number. And so most interestingly, I guess, is the number of people who have taken more than 18 hits so remember in previous seasons, you know, even last season, you know, over 15 hits, it was 14% of people. And now more than 15 hits, we're talking about 20% of people. That is it's a massive uptick. The pre-pandemic era, we didn't see 10% of people doing it. Now we're seeing double the number of people doing that. Uh, and indeed with 18 hits as well, not 15 hits. So we're, you know, we've up, we've ticked it up and even still people are burning points in a way that they used to before. The number of people then, let's say, who are in the very cautious group, that zero to six hits taken is what we've looked at this year. And that's about a quarter of managers. There was a period um, in the pre-pandemic era where it was around half of listeners were there. Even last season, it was about a third of listeners that were in that bracket. Now, indeed, there's very, you know, by comparison, very few, just one in four. Seven to 12 hits is the, the norm or the, where most people kind of find themselves. And 37.1% um, of our respondents had taken between seven and 12 hits. 13 to 18 hits, 17.6%. So not a particularly large number of people were in that cohort compared to then the more than 18 hits, the one in five people, 20.4%. So we're just seeing all around, people are becoming much more risk-seeking as they try to presumably adapt to the different challenges that are being thrown at them by pandemic era football, 
unexpected blanks or indeed blanks that we see coming down the line, but which at the end of the day do cause us to alter our plans at a pretty short notice. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we'll come on to kind of perhaps analysing why that may be, but I think you probably hit me on the head already in terms of the fact that it's the pandemic. There was that postponement period around Christmas where hits became the norm and minus eight became the new zero effectively. I think that that has pushed things up. And even though, as Anthony says, we've reflected how things have changed in this sort of crazy season by upping the number of hits, which sit in each category, it's still incredible to see the amount of people who have said, you know, that they've taken more than 18 hits this season. <laughs> that's a, that's, a, that's a lot of points burned, but there are individuals out there who have done it and more individuals than ever, one in five of them. Let's look at a few of these sort of different categories together and Nick will describe kind of the outline, I suppose, of who they are. I'll give a few um, individuals who uh, commented on Twitter um, why they're doing this, you know, what their approach is. Thanks very much to everybody who did uh, comment, by the way. I can't get through absolutely everybody who did comment. I think we've got about 50, 60 comments. Um, I've picked out a few, which I think are very, very useful just to illustrate the point, and we'll speak about them as well. Uh, let's move on to the very first one, then, and that is the cautious risk taker at zero to six hits this season, but normally zero to four. Yeah, the, the cautious people. So, yeah, as, as Anthony alluded to, you know, we used to see a much higher number of this kind of player. But this year, the numbers have dropped significantly, obviously, with all the cancellations. So uh, what we've referred to as a cautious investor. So, as I said, throwing a bit of crypto terminology around um, in the crypto space, perhaps these people would be people who maybe not even invest in crypto at all. But if they did, they'd stick to Bitcoin or Ethereum and basically just huddle their investment so they'd never sell it they just sit there and just allow it to just grow and, and not not mess around with it and it'd only be a tiny proportion of their investment ultimately and in, in fancy terms going back to fancy of course these are people obviously haven't taken any hits so they're just happy with the auto captain Salah they're happy with Trent, Concello, Jared Bowen just sitting there churning points week in week out and there's no real reason uh, for these managers to change things up and uh, no real reason for them to take hits just to just to settle occasionally, a, a, you know, a corrective action, you know, if someone gets injured or something like that or for a double game week, but yeah. otherwise stick with the team you've got. Absolutely. I mean, we had a couple of managers um, in, in the past. We've had loads of people who have said, I've taken zero hits this season. I only got two responses this year um, at live FPL tables and at FPL flair. Both said they're taking zero live FPL tables said he plans to keep that zero hits up. It, he said it, it makes him more disciplined and makes him think more carefully uh, about what he's doing. And he spends less time on transfers as well by doing it. And uh, FPL flair has said he, he's also done the same thing. So it's a conscious decision by these two managers to try to do so. Elsewhere, FPL Tom Jones said he's taken five hits so far this season. And again, he's trying to be patient and he's trying to not play aggressively to prevent needless hits being taken. Your countryman, FPL Granada, uh, Anthony, said that he'd taken uh, two minus fours and two minus eights. Uh, so he uh, ranked 2.8K. He's done pretty well out of that. Uh, Pete Alois has only taken five hits so far. He's, ha he's had to field kind of fewer players on occasion, but it's not affected his rank too badly. Um, and he made a conscious decision very early on, as we were saying, way back when, uh, when the COVID cancelled games occurred to spread the money around. He did that very, very quickly. He was an early adopter of that. And that's really helped because he's had been able to rely on his bench. And FPL Fierce as well. So just five hits for him. He says he doesn't describe himself as a conservative or low-risk manager. He does things like uh, buying Robbo and selling Jota. Um, 
for example um so he leaves himself open sometimes uh, to uh, being hit by eo was we've got questions about this later on um, he does have a high risk taker rating on fpl review but nonetheless you know, he's, he's not taking that many hits this season i mean this is an interesting sort of uh, area isn't it, anthony i think it's one where <clears throat> historically we'd see most people kind of sit especially where um we don't have the sort of the pandemic sort of craziness which can affect behavior yeah, absolutely, Tom. And I guess this is something that maybe there's something that was reflected in our objectives at the start of the season or certainly mine, you know, this aspirational idea to avoid taking hits um, in so much as possible. And this has traditionally been the way to go about FPL. It would be seldom that you'd see someone who was taking hits left, right and centre going particularly well. And that's why I guess we saw 42.7% and 59.1% in 2019 and 2020 who fell into this, you know, low risk, risk averse category. And now we're seeing it, it's very different, of course. And I guess the people who are doing it this year, they must have been people who had a squad of 15 and who trusted their bench and their long-term planning a in their, you know, when they look back and they saw the players that they had in their squad, they were happy with the plan that they had in place that brought those players in, and they were happy to allow those players come off their bench. And indeed, there were probably people who weren't panicked by being down to nine or ten players at times, knowing that the player they brought in, especially if it was a defender, some kind of, you know, low rank midfielder, or especially a forward, I guess this season, the likelihood was that that player they brought in was only going to get them a two or a four pointer anyway, and weren't going to pay off the hit. And, these people were very disciplined and fair play to some of the people who've got back to us there. They've done really well out of it, but very, very challenging thing to do in the circumstance. And I guess there's two ideas that are kind of of contrary wisdom here. The wisdom I alluded to that we shouldn't take hits at all. But then there's the <laughs> the more kind of obvious uh, idea of, well, you need to buy a ticket to win the lottery and you should probably have 11 players playing in a game week. And these were probably people who trusted themselves to just get by without doing that in given weeks. And maybe they've, it's proven good for them overall, but a very tough category to be in. And indeed, that's why we've seen a far lower percentage of people in this cautious category, just one in four. There is restraint required, isn't there, to just avoid the FOMO, lots of kind of small C conservatism to think, you know what, all right, I'm going to have nine players this week compared to 11, 11 out there, but I don't bleed small amounts over the course of the season and that creates eventually a decent stockpile i imagine these people are you know, accountants or some actuaries something very very safe like that um, and that probably means that that kind of behavior the behavioral pattern uh, links over into fpr i thought it was really interesting though to see that people were kind of saying you know strategically at the start of the season they thought about doing that and it makes them think carefully about the moves they make and it means that you know they stick to that kind of core decision base of those sort of 342 or 329 normal seat 326 uh, moves in, in a regular season i think that's really interesting so yeah well played to people who are in that and they all seem to have recanted that they're having a very very good season off the back of it so as we say every year maybe there's something in not taking too many hits yeah very impressive so um yeah we'll move on to the next category it's actually one i fell into myself um, having taken 11 hits, I was just in within the threshold. So uh, for people who have taken 7 to 12 hits this season, up to 48 points burnt in total, uh, we've classified these people as moderate risk takers. So these are people perhaps who would own 
Bitcoin and Ethereum in crypto, but they may have looked at a few other coins, invested in a few other large cap coins, but certainly haven't got too experimental with their crypto. And in FPL, these are managers that aren't afraid of a hit. They're looking, obviously, to try and get maximum potential out of the doubles and the blank game weeks. And, you know, if, the, if it means that they have to take a hit to kind of maximise that potential, they will do, but they're still trying to take them in moderation. And if they can avoid a hit, they will. Um, and, you know, this season, as I said, it's mostly been about attacking those double game weeks. But ultimately, 7 to 12 hits in 29 game weeks is, is less common to take a hit than to, to not take a hit. So definitely people kind of in the moderate uh, category here. Yeah, certainly. I mean, we had quite a few people in, in this sort of uh, bracket. Um, and as Anthony mentioned earlier, this was the high, the highest kind of response rate in terms of the brackets people are in. I think it is people who have migrated across to this one, maybe due to the fact that we've upped the hits due to the pandemic kind of uh, parade of postponements. But equally, I think there are a lot of people here who have just been reacting to what they've seen in front of them. So Matthew Jones at FPL Matthew, who was on the pod um, a little while back now, he said he's taken nine so far. He normally takes less than five per season. He's an accountant, so that's exactly why he does that. Play boringly, look after your money, et cetera, et cetera. I love accountants. Anyway, um, he, he says that there's more chance of a hit playing off in bank, blanks and doubles, and that's why he's done what he's done this year, because there have been more of those. And that echoes what Nick said about maximising potential. And when he was on, he was obviously shoring up. He was obviously all about shoring up those weakest links, making sure he was removing the weakest link in his team. And so it's proved um, in that kind of situation. Elsewhere, uh, at FPL Antiques, Martin, so he's taken 10 hits. Again, he says it's more than usual. Um, so success can be very hard to judge. Um, sometimes the hits haven't have worked out, sometimes they haven't. Uh, FPL JMO, friend James, a friend of the pod, 11 hits, he said. Again, slightly more than normal, only due to COVID postponements. Uh, FPL Fly, same situation, nine hits, and he only took his hits over the course of the Christmas period uh, because COVID um, meant that he was forced into action. Um, and uh, Hannah Calcio, with Pepe uh, so she just checked this yesterday 11 hits to date um, she said she called half, she'll pull half of them successful and finally Dave a friend of the pod at Dave's he's at FPL who asked me two questions I think last week I said he's been trying to be more conservative than usual this season but he's still taken 10 um, and they've all paid off uh, so well done I also fall into this category, so I've taken 11 hits as well, like Nick. Uh, and it's kind of interesting listening to the diverse stories that you're telling us there about people who probably didn't usually find themselves in this category and who now find themselves in this category. And I think this is a category that in previous seasons I've sometimes been in and sometimes haven't been in. I tend to be kind of in that near accountant status. And uh, here I am again, um, kind of in that category. And it's interesting because there's kind of two stories that seem to be at play here. There's people who were taking hits to survive blanks um, or COVID or whatever, you, however you want to phrase it. And then there's people who are justifying this by people who were chasing double game weeks, maximizing their returns or buying tickets to the lottery and uh, hoping that it pays off just by virtue of the fact that at least no matter what, if you've bought someone in for a double game week, you'll get the four points and the hit will disappear. You'll only be down two points on a player that just got two to start with. And indeed, that might have been a problem for you if it was a blank game week. Um, it it is an interesting category, I guess, as well, just for the sheer volume of people that are in it. That thirty seven point one percent is 
Like it, it is huge. Like, and I, I think it does maybe show us where, as you said, Tom, the people that used to be in the cautious category have just migrated just that ever so slightly in reaction to everything that has gone on. I'd be, I'd be really interested to kind of really break that down into how many of those people were, you know, chasing glory as opposed to just protecting themselves against um, a given blank game week. It's hard to know that from just the bit of uh, data that we've got from people just writing into us and things, but it seems to be pretty equal. Uh, and indeed, I think in my own story, it would be kind of that, that I probably took as many hits chasing points later in the season as I did trying to survive to begin with in the real COVID-affected Christmas period. I mean, you still had at the start of the season, a few people have said you know, that they've made a conscious decision to be more restrained this year. I and mean, you did mm-hmm. do that in the objectives, didn't you? And it's just, it's just yeah. the, the course of this season, the way it has gone, meant that that kind of whole objective got away from you. And it sounds like a few people, it's kind of been the same sort of a scenario, hasn't it? Yeah, I was so about a third of the way into the season, I was on target to take um, 10 hits or less. I'd taken three by game week 13. So that was, you know, on target. I was on target there for nine ish in total. And then you can kind of just in the Christmas period and just after it, there's, there's eights, there's fours. And then more recently, again, it's four, 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 four as I'm trying to get through the blank periods uh, and indeed chasing points in the doubles as well, largely unsuccessfully, I must add. And uh, I guess that pretty much mirrors all the stories that we had from people who wrote in put together and that I was both taking hits to survive in the blanks but also actually to chase points later I think there definitely as you said will be two typologies of people in here people who are kind of reluctant immigrants I suppose into this category versus those who are kind of normally around that sort of area and kind of think, you know what, 10-ish hits every season is probably about right. Uh, let's move on then to the high-risk takers. Um, and I am in, in this category, aren't I, Nick? Yeah, so these are people who are aggressive risk takers, is how I've referred to it, as opposed to high, but this is sort of 13 to 18 hits. And, you know, in crypto, these are people who've gone down that rabbit hole. It's not just about those large coins now, but it's about the small caps investing in lots of different blockchains, potentially going off exchange to DeFi, looking at exciting tokens via Uniswap and PancakeSwap. And, and with these guys, um, FPL managers, you know, nobody is safe in their teams, not even Mo Salah. Um, they have a lower tolerance with FPL assets. So a couple of blanks means that those players will be shown the door. And, you know, they're, they're willing to experiment with other players, take take risks on captaining players like Sterling or De Bruyne if, if the situation requires it. So, yeah, unlike the sort of the, uh, you know, the cautious risk takers who sit with their key assets and just leave them over the course of the season, the aggressive risk takers, they they certainly gamble a little bit more with those players and, and go for more differentials as well. Yeah, uh, a few people that I recognise uh, in in this category who respond to us year after year did respond here as well. Uh, so Mars, uh, Mars05, Gavrenda Pod, says he's taken 18 total hits this season, a few wildcard mistakes early that needed fixing, um, a few kind of different bits and pieces of attacking the doubles. So he doesn't mind hits, uh, but not this much perhaps. 70% success he said he's had. Uh, Karam Tizir, we've got a question from him later on. 16 hits from him. 
eight of them in the five game weeks of COVID outbreaks. So, uh, yeah, he's wondering whether that's poor planning as well. Probably isn't Karam, to be honest. It's probably just a reaction to the situation. Uh, Alan, FPL diagnosis, says he's taken 15, but it feels like a whole lot more. And um, he feels like, you know, it's been one of those seasons where things have had to change a lot. And he's considering, you know, huge hits to come as well. Um, so he's in one of the more insane categories as managers to him, unusually. FPL PTSD says he's having the best season ever. He's in the top 10K. He's taken 14 hits so far this season and um, it just seems to have worked out basically. He seems to have hit a lot of the players um, when he's been taking the hit um, in those sort of difficult game weeks. And Dr. Emmett Brown, uh, FPL, uh, Bats of the Future, 15 hits across 10 game weeks and it's been a huge game for him. And and for me, you know, I've always been a bit of a risky manager. I'm always happier to have that fun and gamble that it's going to come good. And you know, I look at it and think, oh yeah, I've got to make seven points for this hit to be worthwhile if it's an elective one. Um, but this year, of course, there's been loads of more enforced ones. I'm happy, um, as Anthony has said, to just kind of you know, just buy a ticket, basically. Um, sometimes variants have smashed me in the face see Kai Havertz um, but uh, this this year it's been okay I've tried to adopt a more expected value friendly regard to taking hits um, but with COVID it's been quite difficult to do that um, in some I've transferred out 59 points this year I've transferred in 181 points so that's 122 minus the 68 points in hits I've taken this year I'm up 54 points this year and that's without captains being added in um, obviously Mo Salah triple captain would skew that massively into the positive category obviously that's also incredibly crude there's lots of uh, shoulda woulda couldas um, but it's impossible to assess the opportunity costs I missed out on from taking a hit and the COVID cancellations as well makes it very difficult to do a five-week assessment because players were often transferred in then transferred out again very quickly as games disappeared. But, you know, I, my objective was very much about you know, not really shirking taking the hit because I found that in the last few years, I've, if I've been taking the hit, um, I've done all right. And a lot of the time, my key sort of source of anxiety or regret after game weeks has been that I didn't take the hit that I really wanted to. Um some of them have not been good. So Kai Havertz, I mentioned, but I still feel bad about not taking the hit for a lot of players. And perhaps that's just kind of a psychological thing. But for example, last week, um, not buying vague horse for Edouard um, and that 12 point swing, um, something like that. That's something that kind of plays in my mind. It's more about what I didn't do than what I did do that annoys me. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm just, uh, just sat in that kind of category just about It's interesting when you look at this particular category, mostly because, okay, 17.6% of respondents fell into this. But even last year, 24% of people fell into this, you know, high risk-taking category. And indeed, even in pre-pandemic year of 2018-19, 15 15.7% of people fell into this category. Of course, that totally ignores the fact that a huge amount of people are now in the category below this who have taken even more hits. So we are kind of still seeing that general migration of people towards more risk-taking, more hit-taking, probably, as we say, in reaction to the circumstances. I would say, I, if I was to put forward a supposition, I would say that the people who are in this category probably have had to react a little bit more 
than the people who are in the seven to 12 hit category. So I'll call these people like the reaction plus plus people. There was someone in there said that they'd had a disastrous wildcard and that they just had to do an extra amount of uh, transfers to just uh, fix Mar- that. Mars. <laughs> there it was, it was Mars. And like that's, I think that that's probably a fairly reflective story of an awful lot of people who find themselves in this category that you know maybe in an ideal world they'd have been with the majority the 37.1 percent who taken seven to 12 hits but just circumstances um of their own transfers and then reacting to everything that has happened meant that they just found themselves even further down in this category and it's an awful lot of point hits to have taken but people may find themselves kind of uncomfortable to find themselves in this category whereas i think the people that we're going to be talking about next are probably reveling in the fact that they take loads of risks I'm not uncomfortable to be in this category, and um, <laughs> you it, you it, might wish you're in the next one. <laughs> if, if, well, I mean, if things have been different, I remember last year, and um, Nick put me in this category, and I said, "Actually, Nick, I've already taken a minus four, so I'm already in the extreme category, which we're just going to mention just now." Um, that is obviously the extreme risk taker, seventeen plus hits this season. Yeah, definitely, and I think on the poll it was, it was nineteen actually, but sorry, um, yeah, nineteen. But yeah, um, I, th- I think definitely, I think I was on the edge of the aggressive risk taker and it's not normally in my sort of F- FPL personality to take so many hits. But I think with COVID, I was just on that edge of becoming one. So certainly feel for the people who've been forced into the category almost against their will, just through sheer bad luck. But certainly when it comes to the extreme risk takers, these are people that just love taking gambles. So in crypto, they're looking to shoot for the moon. They're looking at initial coin offerings. They're looking at day trading, shorts, leverages. They're taking big gambles with their money. And they could make millions on a, on a Shiba Inu coin, but they could easily lose it all as well. Um, and in FPL, um, there's, there's constant changes week in, week out for these managers. You know, they could jump on Mane one week. And if he blanks, they'll be on Sterling for the next week. And KDB, you know, it doesn't matter on the player. They're just, you know mixing it up every single week and getting a new player in and, and just trying to get that fix. And it's all it's all about the hit ultimately for these people. But yeah, certainly this year is it's very interesting to see how so many more managers have fallen into this category compared to previous years. So perhaps it's a bit of the the season that's kind of driven people into taking more gambles perhaps than they would have used to. Yeah, I think a lot of the people who did mention here, um who did speak here, sorry tend to be people who are already in this category as it were like by rote every year so fpl chimp paradox of a fellow irishman uh, if it was anthony said uh, he's taken 24 hits so far he's an aggressive player and tends to make take a loads of hits every season but covid has definitely been the facts of the season he's taken two minus 16s and a minus 12 uh, but he's taken a green arrow each time so anyway, uh, Dave Glass, a friend of the pod, uh, says he goes for a minus four most weeks. One free transfer, he says, isn't enough. Chris Smith, FL Moff, says he's taken 23 hits this season, six in the last two weeks to navigate the, this patch without two free hits. So he used those earlier on as well. So you know, taking hits for a free hit, being aggressive with those definitely has done things. And he said there's been a few times where you know, it would have been a massive red arrow if he hadn't done anything. And uh, finally, uh, Piter, uh, Piter 30, um, said that he'd taken 29 hits this season. His OR was 79k, and he's looking at taking two or three more this week. So very Moorish, aren't they, Anthony? 
these are extreme numbers of hits. Like th- th- that's an incredible rank to have with that many hits. Like I can't believe that that many risks have paid off to have someone anywhere near the top 100k when they've got when they've dumped well over 100 points in hits. Like anyone who's in this category has knocked off at least 76 points. That like that is pretty extreme. And like there's 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 dopamine seeking people for sure in here and the people that you talked about who would have found themselves in this category anyway. The thing is that our respondents tended to be, you know, it was 10, 6, 13.5% of people that were in this. And we now find 20.4% in here. So, okay, yeah, there definitely are people who were always playing, you know, had a play style that found them in this category. But there are people who have definitely been forced into this section by circumstance, probably who wouldn't have liked to be in it before and who were probably fairly small C conservatives before, because indeed... 2019-20, for example, you know, very few people, it was less than 15% of people had taken less than nine hits by, or who had taken more than nine hits by, you know, game week 23. Now we're seeing a massive proportion. We're seeing well over double that in this category alone. So, you know, largely, I think, circumstances have definitely inflated this group. And it's an incredible amount of hits, but the amount of people who were able to write in and say how well they've done i guess is testament to the idea that there's more than one way to play this game and that maybe sometimes we're anchored in our accepted wisdom of how to play fpl and there there are people who are really pushing the boundaries of that and succeeding i think it's just because you've you, in the past like when loads of big influences maybe mark Sovens and late riser aside most of them have been very hit averse and been very patient like fpl general uh, matthew jones who spoke about earlier on um those sort of guys um have influenced so many teams out there uh, we spoke about shadow boxing against these sort of influence teams in the past and that many leagues you certainly see my workman league for example loads of people in uh, general's patreon just basically copying him and um, lots of andy as well we've had in the pod recently uh, also do that sort of thing let's talk fpl so i mean this is the antithesis of that sort of play style, isn't it? But I think it's very interesting to see people just playing this way and a couple of people saying, you know what, actually every year I've managed to fend off so many red arrows that it's sort of made it worth it. But you've got to think about it and think, okay, I mean, I think about it every year, but I'm still going to do it, take a lot of hits because I think it's it's more fun that way. And maybe I'm seeking the dopamine hit, maybe I'm chasing the dragon. Um, but nonetheless, I kind of understand why people would be in the extreme category. Nonetheless, it is... Um, I think the the uptick um, is probably the key takeaway here that more people are taking um, an extreme number of hits than normal. Um, And maybe it's the season, maybe next year we'll find there's less people in this category. And I suspect that we'll find less people in this category, but just, just this year, you know, for example, I think I took four minus eights in the course of six game weeks over Christmas. It's just one of those things where I just think I'm going to buy tickets to the lottery. And while I'm there, because of my objective being as it was, I might as well just sort this thing out as well and prune my team. And that was very successful in some weeks and other weeks it wasn't at all. I do wonder to myself if there's like a societal and FPL backdrop as well to the number of people that find themselves in this category that, you know, as you say, there is an awful lot of people who, especially who would be in the active engaged FPL community or indeed who follow the subreddit or who follow any of the influencers, the many, many influencers and content creators in all the different spheres that are around at this point, that if they feel like they need to, to win the shadow box against the teams that are you know, copycats of people who are doing really well and who, you know, let's say any of the people that you mentioned are probably going to be in the top 100K at least, if not the top 10K um, in a given year. And if you want to win the shadow box against them, maybe you do need to take you know, excessive measures to get ahead and just take the risk. And then maybe there is this other kind of societal thing, which is definitely increasing more and more. The, the, dis, 
you know, the desire to be able to show off the wild successes and you know these people who are kind of just playing this more happy-go-lucky approach are definitely being promoted more in social media like definitely the algorithms push these people in front of me more and more than they ever did before and mm. i do wonder if there, that is then driving people to try and replicate that to get their chance in the sun yes be the differential captaincy regents right uh so let's talk about oh that's uh the, basically what sort of risk profile do you have uh, to end off this session i guess the key question here is how useful is it to know what category you've kind of fit into? And for me, I think it's it's very useful. I think it's really enlightening to get that sense of kind of self-reflection, regardless of the sort of manager you are. I mean, some people might want to challenge that, you know, maybe show, show more restraint, as some of the managers in the lower risk section have said. Um, they want to try to either you know streamline their approach or maybe you know mimic other managers that we've mentioned who just tend to do very well year after year and rein in those gamblers instincts as you become more and more sort of attuned to how the season goes so i think fpl barrister jeremy was saying that's me as well but since he started taking fpl seriously he's taken far less hits than did before and that certainly makes sense others like me kind of just think oh hey you know that's cool it's good to see uh, the kind of manager i am so i'm going to lean into it and just kind of do it and see opportunity where other people see caution um, and my results probably should tell you that it's best to be more restrained um but there's more than one way to play this game that's for sure and it's good to be able to look into the mer- metaphorical mirror and think yes this is me and decide whether you're uncomfortable or comfortable with what you see and hence what you do about it i mean nick um what do you think the usefulness of this whole exercise. Yeah, I, I agree exactly with um, with what you just said. So I think it is definitely useful to have that sort of layer of introspection and as kind of knowing your risk profile and understanding your risk profile can can be cathartic. You know, it, it might give you that moment of clarity where you actually look at yourself and say, "Hold on, I, I do maybe take too many risks in the game. Perhaps if I slow down, perhaps if I." avoid those minus fours I might do a little bit better or conversely you might say actually you know I'm too cautious you know I don't take enough hits you know if if I take a few more gambles like some of the other uh, people and fall into a higher category perhaps I would start doing a bit better with FPL and perhaps I kind of stick with some of my assets a bit too long in in FPL so yeah I think it's definitely definitely useful you know you, you can you can kind of throw it away and say, actually, you know what? I don't care. You know, I'm happy with my risk profile or you can take it away and say, maybe I need to change or up my game in, in a certain way to try and improve. For me, it's quite interesting because I, I find that 40% of our respondents are in categories that have taken more hits than me. And certainly more than 40% of our respondents are ahead of me in FPL this season. And, and so I do wonder if I've been too set in my ways in that accepted wisdom and i guess this lends itself to the you know the benefits of knowing your risk profile and being able to you know ground your introspection in some sort of idea of comparator to others Uh, and and definitely i've found that i definitely wasn't actually aggressive enough and this is something i've talked about when we've discussed the objectives a few times that i felt that maybe i was hamstrung by the objectives and i wasn't chasing transfers in a way that I probably should have and I guess against the backdrop to COVID maybe that's more so the point especially when I was largely playing with a squad that didn't have a deep enough bench from I guess probably around the time that the COVID period hit I was a bit unfortunate with injuries and things and I always felt like I was just trying to make sure that I had 11 there 
um, rather than trying to make sure that I had a good 11 there, that I, I maybe I just kicked a touch a few too many times. And definitely it's only now that I can really see that I've done that. I, I felt like I was probably the norm taking you know, 11 hits. And indeed I am in the most common uh, area in terms of respondents here with 37.1% of people joining me in that seven to 12 hit category. But the amount of people that have taken more hits to respond to the situations that have hit their teams and who I guess now we're obviously going to have a bit of bias and who's going to respond to us that they're probably having a good season. But I'm going to say it that the people who've gone ahead and taken more hits than me are probably doing better than me this season. And maybe I should have been one of them. But good to know for next season, I guess, um, This from this particular thing. I guess that is the benefits of knowing your risk profile. So another really interesting look at that this season, four years of it, next year will be the five, half a decade of looking at data will be there next season and we'll do a, an extra, well, with Wheel, the lads will do an wheel, extra, uh, the, wheel, lads, yeah. the lads and the lads and Lucy will do a particularly good breakdown on that next year, I'm sure, with five years of data and hopefully a COVID-free season to compare to COVID season and the non-COVID seasons in the two seasons of the start of this data. So yeah, an interesting section. Cool. Let's take a break there and move on to the correspondence, listener questions, and general mushy stuff just after this. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? All right, so we're back and it's time to go into the correspondence and questions. A banging correspondence for you this week uh, alongside uh, after the questions. Well, questions are very useful as well. A lot of stuff from the doubles coming up, um, which probably, to be fair, are most pods content this week but hey you know for us in the questions yeah you know always doing differently wgta and then some navel gazing mushy stuff at the very end a quick mention to a couple of meetups or a triple of meetups i should say coming up the first one is the london meetup the 12th of march uh, that's via fpl meet slash fpl nema who's on the pod a few weeks ago um and uh, on the 18th of march i'll be in bristol uh, for the bristol meetup uh, that's at king street brew house um definitely let me know on twitter or email us on who if you want to come along to that one and north versus south game week 39 is being pioneered by benny blanco find out more about that at benny blanco benny underscore blanco 40 on twitter gw39 north versus south.co.uk all one word on the interwebs so to the correspondence anthony and it's a very fitting send-off correspondence this week isn't it it is yeah um the correspondence section is your chance to get your long form thoughts addendums or whatever else really into who got the assist at gmail.com or indeed just dm tom or me or whoever uh, your thoughts or whatever it was that you wanted to get onto the podcast you'll be able to still email into who got the assist gmail.com and i'm sure the correspondence section will ever so often at least uh feature in the pod in the future but this email has come in from Andy Penman and um, I have to just thank him in advance for sending this in because it's uh, it's borderline ridiculous <laughs> that this email has come in this week <laughs> but yeah it's great <laughs> hi WGTA team and especially Stag clearly there's only one main concern for Stag's last pod after Matt Doherty's big haul against Leeds is there a good reason to include Doherty in our squads or is Doherty just a red herring if not if not Doherty then who else should we go for over Doherty who are Darty's main rivals in the back of our teams? Is Spurs' defence Darty or bust? Is Darty likely to be rotated with Emerson Royale still? Would Darty be a better choice than someone like Dino with the doubles coming up? Is Darty likely to play two games in the future Spurs doubles? Darty, 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 Darty. Many thanks and see you. <laughs> and all the very best to you, Stag. Slauncha from all your FPL-loving Celtic cousins across the sea. Or Celtic cousins across the sea in this case. <laughs> Andy Penman. 
There you go, Tom. You've got a challenge from that. Uh, you know what the challenge is. Uh, Matt Doherty. Not too bad. Nick? Doherty. Oh, perfect from Nick. Oh, oh outstanding. Outstanding. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's actually hilarious that he's back in the FPL kind of relevant sphere just he as is, you're leaving. He has, <laughs> la- top, he has genuinely top scorer this week. Yeah, he's, he, was he? <laughs> 18 points. Did the Holy Trinity of a goal assist and clean sheet. What a guy! Just, just, just for you, just, just oh, for the, just for your send off. So, so good of Matt Doherty to make an intervention just in time as well, like his his first career was kind of seemed to be teetering on the blink, and now he's suddenly kind of got himself going again. I'm delighted to see it, and and indeed, to be honest, like he does fit that Conte system quite well, and if he is starting to play well, then he actually will be the FPL player that I guess we hoped he'd be when he signed for Spurs originally under Jose Mourinho he could genuinely be a great pick into these final weeks. Nick, especially as a Spurs fan, I guess, what do you think of Matt Doherty as an FPL prospect? Yeah, I think he's he's one to keep an eye on, certainly. Um, you know, I think he's probably, I'd, I'd say he's probably got the place right now ahead of Royale, just because Royale's been pretty damn terrible since he signed. I've, I've not been overly impressed with his crossing ability. Um, and, and on the same, on the left-hand flank, I think both Cessinon and Doherty actually linked up really well in that last game. So I think Cess is probably ahead of Reguillon. Um, and they both played tonight, and I haven't watched the game, but they lost typically in Spurs fashion against Middlesbrough. So maybe they'll lose their place. So I don't, I don't know how they performed in that game. So I haven't had a chance to kind of look. But, um, you know, they do have um, a double up in, in 29, um, United and Brighton, which is all right. And a possible game week 30 now because of that um, loss against Middlesbrough. It's not been confirmed. Depends what happens in the West Ham versus Southampton game. But certainly if Spurs do have a, a game in 30, then people will be looking at, the likes of Doherty in defence. Because um, they've got a decent run as well after that. You know, they're playing likes of Aston Villa, Brighton, Brentford, Leicester. So, you know, Spurs coverage in the back. I've, I've got actually got um, my my favourite all-timer, Ben Davis, right now, uh, picking up one-pointers and five-pointers for me. A bit, of a bit of a dodgy pick. But um, I think if you are looking at the Spurs defence, I, I would probably target one of the wing-backs um, and just watch and wait for the next couple of games as well. So hopefully they can keep their place. Yeah, and that's the big thing, isn't it? Just watching and waiting. But from game week 29, I think it would be a unique position to be in. Somebody who's looking to not buy a player just because he can't pronounce them on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if I just completely let him go. Um, but no, I, I, it's it's... It seems like uh, Royale with cheese just hasn't really paid off for anybody. And as Anthony said, it seems to fit the system. So why not? Why not? Indeed, I feel like he say, might be somebody to fit in. Matt say Doherty. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I, still remember, I still remember your significant other just saying that um, the London lad murdered it, <laughs> massacred yeah, oh, yeah. it. <laughs> remember, yeah, that, that was great that time we were playing the voice notes back and forth. Tom was really trying to get it, and FPL King was uh, in back and forth with us about the pronunciation and everything. And then, yeah, my head so she she ripped Tom apart at the time. It was great. <sighs> Yeah, unbelievable. I wish we had things which were difficult to pronounce, but sadly, sadly not. Right, let's move on to the main questions this week. Um, will the correspondence section return after this? I mean, who knows? I might kill it. I might just spend... Anthony has got nothing to say about it anymore, so I might kill it. Um, but up to you whether you do want to continue sending your questions in to gotresist.gmail.com. Next one. 
is from FPL Claret this week. And FPL Claret normally is somebody who writes in to us uh, each year about the, uh, the the risk profiles thing. Uh, but he did say that he uh, lost his account, sadly, <laughs> earlier on this year. Um, so he's got a ghost team at the moment. But normally he's the kind of guy, I, I saw him um, in Manchester and I've spoken to him a couple of years and he said, you know, normally he takes a hit a week. So similar to our listener, Dave Glass. Um, but he asks, you know, what does FPL risk actually look like to us? Is it hits alone? Can it be punting on differentials as dangerous captains, things like that? Uh, also risk. And I guess, you know, risk is what you make of it to me. I mean, I know, for example, always things what Jimmy said about, you know, he takes those risks every year. But to me, I think it's always EO-centric. So going against it in terms of captain or not covering a highly owned player, I think is what risk actually does mean to me more. I mean, yeah, okay, we use hits as a, pros- a proxy understanding risk profiles in the main section but the way i look at it tends to be about eo and things you do because arguably you could be taking a hit but you could be taking a hit to bring in salah for the triple captain so does that still count as being risky probably not but nonetheless over the course of the season all these things mount up if you look at it on the game week by game week basis in one game week yeah okay i could be taking a hit but i'm not particularly risky but throughout the course of the season you could argue well all right if you were being risk averse you could have just kept salad on your bench knowing the fact that he'd always want him back eventually just whether it were the players that you've got and chip strategies quickly he mentioned that too uh, jimmy uh i don't think i just don't think chip strategy is that risky obviously things like bench boosting or triple captaining on the road week is one thing but a lot of the time you get to a point around the 20s where things become very customized i've mentioned in the last few pods to your team and generalized advice which works out very well early in the season doesn't really count as much anymore Uh, what do you think nick about risk in general uh, as the pioneer of the main sort of risk profiles thing yeah, yeah, I agree with your points. I think ultimately we use hit because that's the easiest and most quantifiable metric for, for kind of calculating risk. But certainly I think all those different elements fall into an individual's risk profile. So going for those differential captains, going for those low owned players, as opposed to the highly owned assets. If, if you're targeting low, lowly owned players and captaining those week in, week out, then, you know, ultimately you are a bigger risk taker than someone who's just going to sit it on Salah and it, it goes into alternative chip strategies as well if you bench boost or triple captain in a single week or maybe if you triple captain Trent Alexander-Arnold as opposed to Mo Salah in a double game week Anthony, perhaps uh, that falls into a, a different risk strategy as well Absolutely, yeah. I think that's uh, definitely coming to mind with me really that it is the captaincy of all of these that has the, the biggest effect and of course if you bring in the triple captaincy chip you can you can definitely exaggerate that even further. But I do feel like by and large, as what Tom was saying, that when it comes to chip strategies, whilst you can really be gone alone, it's probably not as likely to have um, a massive effect on your rank as, for example, going for low ownership players, just because by virtue of that, you're probably leaving out players that have a high EO that are really going to punish you long-term. And especially with the captaincy, because the herd largely is doing the obvious thing. And so by not doing the obvious thing, Sure, there is the positive chance that it's going to work out for you, but the negatives are oh so huge um, and, and the effect can be absolutely detrimental. Most obviously illustrated, of course, with the triple captaincy when it doesn't work out. But overall, I think it is just 
of all the risks, the biggest of them. And I, I know we've now just, we've done a whole pod talking about hits as Tom said, the proxy for risk, but often what you're doing with a hit is it's probably sensible. It's probably not going to be a huge cost in EO terms. And indeed, like just literally, it's not a huge hit in terms of the number of points that you take out. Where there's a real risk involved when you take a hit is when you're hitting out a player that has a high EO. So for example, earlier in the season, when people sold Ben Rama early, that was actually quite a risky transfer because if you continue to bang, you were really going to be punished for it. Indeed, people who transferred out Salah of any given t- period really suffered for it. I think I transferred him out early on in, in some sort of premium roulette that really didn't work out. That was a huge risk that didn't work out as well. But in in that form, I would kind of see it as, you know, that's in the low ownership EO, low ownership player category, as opposed to the hit that was the inherently risky aspect of that. So risk for me is largely low ownership players and captaincy changes but as tom said that is all grounded in the greater shroud of eo and the effect that going against eo will have on you oh um a good example of kind of selling for a player who perhaps is a bit of a risk um based in eo is bowen or Noen. Uh, so fpl yogi asks is it is it overthinking to sell bowen and or is it overthinking to keep bowen i mean nick what do you think about this one yeah, I understand why a few people are selling Bowen this week. Um, they do have a tough fixture against Liverpool and there's so many players out there in a crowded market of midfield assets. We've double game week, so you know we've got like we've got a question of free hits. So we'll talk about a few of these characters in a bit anyway. But you know, the likes of Rafinha and Coutinho, Joe Willock even kind of putting their names in the hat. Is there space for Bowen in, in our midfield? And, you know, he has had a couple of blanks, but he has been one of the most reliable players over the course of the season. So it's it's very much an if and but. And I, I think, you know, if you've got a lot of money tied up in him as well, you might be a bit more reticent to sell him. So some people might have made, you know, 0.7, 0.8 in terms of transfer value since originally transferring him in. So there, there is that kind of loss of money if you do sell him. But... It is a tough one because he is the second highest scoring player over the course of the season in midfield. He's had an absolutely excellent season, a real breakout season. But I think with West Ham's fixtures, and I was going to say a blank in 30, but now that's that's a question mark as well, which we also need to throw into the mix. Um, so wait and see what happens against Southampton. But if they do have the blank in 30, they've got a tough game against Liverpool um, next. And there's so many other players that, look like decent prospects with double game weeks coming up in 28 and 29, then you know, is there space for Bowen? Perhaps not in our mm-hmm. team. So at least in the short term, you can easily get him back in for the, for the run in game week 31, perhaps. So, you know, um, I don't understand if people want to sell him in the short term. I don't think it's the end of the world. Yeah, I mean, it's stick or twist, really. It's a bit like his teammate, Antonio. How long is too long to hold the man? And who are, who are you missing out on by holding him? With Antonio, it was a case of, not missing out on much because the fours have been absolute toss. But maybe with Bowen, as Nick said, you know, the likes of Rafinha, Coutinho, they've got their names in the midfield mix. Uh, Jota, when he's back, perhaps would be in the in the mix too. Uh, Willock, perhaps, um, and also increasingly Leicester midfielders. Um, Madison scored tonight. Um, and there are three games for them left to be rescheduled. So maybe these players may be worth considering over Bowen. Next week, he's got Liverpool away. So most people like to bench him then. He's got Villa at home in game 29s. So maybe that's a field 
then there's a blank in game week 30 and a few okay games I think reference after that in Everton, Brentford and Burnley before the fixtures stiffen in game week 34. I think either holding or selling is valid here, which is why it's a bit of a pain. Like he's still decently owned. He's still very capable. I mean, versus Wolves, he was still in a lot of good positions. The ball never got to him. For example, when Suchet scored, he was literally, you know, the next man over. Um, so he could have put home the winner rather than Sujek. And even when we were watching Nick, uh, when I was around your house the other day, I thought the bone had scored when Sujek had scored. And um, I, I stand what I said before, though, about uh, West Ham being uh, easier for teams to plan for now because of a lack of depth. And that could be your justification to sell. They're not going to kind of take things apart like they used to. I mean, I, I've got a Buendia problem personally. So I'm keeping and benching him, I think, because I've got another player to take out. But if you don't have that problem and you fancy double game weaker or somebody else sort of team out and he, an opportunity cost of keeping him is not missing out on that sort of player, it's justifiable to sell. As I said in the Polo solo pod last week, he's no longer untouchable, I don't think. Um, Anthony, what do you think on Bowen? I think I'll be largely parroting what you guys have said at this point, that whilst over you know a good solid 10 to 12 game week period, it was Bowen and Green Arrow. I'm not quite sure if that's going to continue to be the case at this point. That, as you say, there are compelling other options coming you know out of the woodwork. There are arguments against keeping him from a West Ham perspective, A, with the fixtures, and B, with just general depth and overload. Uh, that they're dealing with at the moment with fixtures and the like. Um, and even just, there has been a bit of a slowdown too. You just don't feel like they have the same momentum for that top four place that they felt like they had when, I guess, Bowen was going well and when there tended to be someone else going well alongside him. And I think this has kind of been the problem for West Ham is that having two players on song you know, at a consistent period has proven more and more elusive as time went on. That, you know, early on it was Antonio and Ben Rama and then... Um, yeah, Antonio kept going and the you know some of the others kind of started to chime in, especially Bowen started to chime in. And then you started to find that Bowen was almost kind of running it single-handedly with a random ramshackle uh, <laughs> group of others chiming in. And and now it just seems like it's it feels like it's drying up more and more. Um and I guess with that in mind, there's there's plenty of reasons to sell. I think I'd be probably erring more towards sell than keep. Uh, and indeed, this is a question that I have to ask myself on my own side. He's he's still in mine at the moment. And as well, actually, with value, there isn't as huge. Especially as his price will probably drop a bit more from where it is right now. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Let's move on to the main sort of. Uh thrust of the FPL community this week, uh, which is about double game week 28. Uh, Karim Tizer asked for some sort of uh, free hit 28 picks from us, which would be quite useful because Nick's on a free hit. And uh, he also asked if Broyo Adams is the Saint striker of choice, which we can come on to. The market force is obviously favouring Scotland's Shea Adams at the moment. And Jeff Pedder asked as well, if you're a wildcard in this week, how many 28-28 doublers would you have and available in thir- how many 28 doublers and available in 30 players would you focus on versus those sort of core foundations of City, Liverpool, Chelsea, etc. Um, and how much are you going to think about game week 30 if you're doing that? I mean, let's take the um the free hit picks for at the moment. I'm going to do my usual thing of throwing in one uh, from left field. And that is Ryan Fraser. 
uh, 5.3 million at the moment, a, a hero uh, for, of past years. Um, there's a few reasons for this. One is that Newcastle are attacking a lot down the left flank as per Chris War in The Athletic. Unfortunately, uh, for all the phrases crossing, uh, Wood has been poor at converting them. Jolinton has done though. <laughs> uh, but his data over the last six game weeks for a 5.3 player who seems very nailed is really decent. So he and JWP are joint top for several crosses over the last six weeks. He's created 13 chances in the last six weeks. He's equal um, in terms of non-pen XA to KDB over the last six. And he's got the top SGI for players under 6 million um, over the last six game weeks. Unfortunately, uh, their game against Crystal Palace is now a blank because of uh, Palace beat Stoke 2-1 tonight. Nonetheless, with double-double at 5.3, he could be one that you could throw into a free hit on 28 and feel probably okay about. Uh, the double is not that bad at all. So, yeah, he could be one. Uh, Nick, are you considering Ryan Fraser if you're a free hit on 28? How are you generally setting up? Yeah, I did, I did think about Ryan Fraser. I'm actually finding that I've, I've got a lot of money to play around with on, on this free hit. Um, and it's mainly driven by the, the teams that do have the double. They're not kind of the Manchester Cities, the Chelsea's, the Liverpool's. Well, there might be a Chelsea double, but we, we have to wait and see on that one. But it's, it's kind of the, the middling size, isn't it? It's the, the Aston Villas, the Southamptons, the, the Wolves and the Newcastles. So I'm finding that I've got a bit of money to play around with. And it's just weighing up how many single game weekers I have. Um, so at the moment, I have got sort of Salah, Son and Trent in there as well and I just think those are kind of the key assets for the single game weekers but apart from that I've gone for the doublers so um, triple on Aston Villa especially um, Leeds they seem really poor at the moment so I think I want to target them even though they've sold Bielsa maybe they'll you know tidy up a bit Um, not sold Bielsa they've sacked Bielsa perhaps they're going to be um, you know trying to be a bit more defensively solid in their next games. Um, I still think they're a team to target. So we've got Coutinho, uh, Jacob Ramsey, I've actually thrown into the mix. He's had a real breakout season. And I've got Luca Dean in defence as well. Um, in terms of the Southampton question, I've actually gone for the double up right now up front. So I have put both Broyer and um, Shea Adams in there. And like you mentioned, Tom, there's, there's not really a wealth of um, decent forwards to kind of pick from. Um, especially for this double as well. So obviously Jimenez is one that appeared in the market forces, but I'm, I'm not overly sold by him and his recent performances. So I wasn't too sure about him. And I've actually gone for Adams and Broya. But in terms of Wolves, it's all about the defenders for me. So I've gone for um, sort of Sa in goal, um, targeting hopefully a double clean sheet from him. And, um, and Roman Sice would be my sort of Wolves defender of choice. So I think for Wolves, it's, it's more about the defence with Aston Villa, the combination, the midfield and the attack. And then with the Southampton, I think the attack, the forwards is probably the best uh, position to target for Southampton. And also in defence, you could have a kind of Bednarek type character or a Livramento, who's, who's obviously been performing pretty well uh, so far this season. So, yeah, I think for me, the teams to target mainly Southampton, Aston Villa and Wolves. Uh, you could throw a sprinkle of Newcastle in there. So instead of Fraser, I was actually looking at your man, uh, Joe Willock, who's uh, oh, starting yeah. to re-emerge again. Um, he's got a couple of goals and an assist. It's actually his first returns of the season. So he's been uh, very, very quiet over the course of the season compared to last season where he got signed, I mean, January and scored eight goals. It was just a ridiculous run of form. Um, but this season's been terrible for him until the last three game weeks where 
he might be hitting that purple patch again. So I really like Willock. I think he's perhaps the one I'll go for over over the wee man, even though I did see, you know, he was very creative, created those crosses down that left-hand side in that last game. Um, but I think he's also subject to a little bit of rotation um, under Howe. So I think Willock's, Willock's the answer for me. Um, what do you think about so I mean um, Chelsea get a double game week if uh, Chelsea beat Luton tomorrow and uh, Norwich lose Liverpool where are you with the Chelsea players I mean obviously this is all a little bit a little bit sort of hypothetical at the moment I mean would you be kind of thinking oh Rudiger's the one to throw in would you be kind of looking at Mason Mount I mean what are your initial thoughts on that at the moment yeah so I think if, if Chelsea do have that double, then I probably would go for a character like Rudiger. So as I mentioned, I do have the Wolves double up right now and I'd probably sacrifice one of them to get a Chelsea defender in instead. Um, in terms of the midfielders, you know, I'm, I'm not overly sold. I, I did like Ziyech, but he's, uh, he's flagged now. So that's a little bit of a concern. Um, didn't play at the weekend. And, and Mason Mount, I don't know. I don't know. I think there are other better options that I've mentioned in midfield. I'm, I'm just, I'm not convinced to be honest. That uh, I think the thing about Mount or someone like that could be, if you've got him in, he could be a captain option as well. So that kind of you have to throw that into the mix as well when you're thinking about who the who the captaincy is um, for this week because it's not like there's a a real hardcore selection of you know double game weeks. There's no there's no like obvious pick. Currently, I've got on Coutinho actually. So. I think, yeah, you could you could go for Mount, but I just think, you know, as I said before, the midfield's already a bit of a crowded house, especially if I'm going to have Son and uh, Salomon there as well. With Chelsea, I'd nearly even say that a Chelsea defender could quite easily be captaincy material, just kind of for the paucity of options elsewhere. Um, it's it's kind of the, the big kind of question there is just trying to pick out the right one. If you were to do it, like Rudiger would probably be the obvious choice, but maybe you might want to take a risk on one of the wing backs. I know there's kind of questions about Reese James's fitness and things that maybe would mean that he certainly wouldn't be the one you'd look to, but you know, there is an upside to him if he even plays uh, a single game in the um, double game week. He'd be an interesting one, I guess. Looking more broadly, Willock was definitely the Newcastle player that stood out to me. The Wolves' defence is, I guess, as you've kind of noted yourself, Nick, is probably the the way to go. I've got Saïs in my own team currently. I could totally see how someone who is free-hitting or indeed wild-carding would look to get more into that Wolves' defence. Like They are one of the teams that play in game week 30 as well, if you're not someone who's... Um, going to use a free hit uh, then so like that's kind of the extra bonus with them uh the villa players i'd be i'd be slow to get on to like i can understand the jake ramsey hype if only because he's such a good enabler and obviously has had a particularly good season but kind of consistent returns have been kind of lacking from any of villa's attacking players really coutinho obviously there's a a certain intrigue to putting him in the team and a real nostalgia to how good he used to be but Kind of, there there have been fleeting glimpses of brilliance uh, in his time at Villa, but I don't know if you could say that there's enough data there to point at consistency. And, and then when you talk about the forwards, that that's the real question here. Like there's like that has been the question nearly all season. Like, is there any good forwards anywhere? That like that's where you could start to look to your single game week options as runners. Like even Leeds for um, Leeds for example are playing Leicester. Like there'd be some temptation to go for a, a Vardy who obviously scored tonight or. Um, you know, obviously then you'd look to your, your Madisons and stuff as well that you'd probably want to have on your side. And then the Manchester Derby, I don't think is a game I'd be avoiding. Like, you know, Cancelo or someone could quite easily come in with a haul. Like, at least it's one of those days that you can look to the City team and go, OK, 
they're probably going to play their best players. And in my eyes, these are their best players. And so therefore I will select them. So a Foden, for example, is someone who I would think at least would play against Manchester United and now trying to get myself into uh, Guardiola's head. But like, that could that could genuinely be a bloodbath um, for United. Uh, it really, really could. And I, I guess I wouldn't kind of cast aside players like that likely. Actually, ditto Tottenham as well, playing against Everton, who are still kind of not going all that well under Lampard. Uh, I'd be kind of interested to see like a Kane or a Son. Uh, it's, it, this does feel like one of those trick double game weeks where it could be so easy to start really pumping up your team full of Chris Woods and Ryan Frasers and Joe Willocks. But in the end, it could be the single game week options, the tried and tested models that actually run away with things in the end. Yeah, it's just another trap, isn't it? <laughs> for <laughs> tri- triple up on Newcastle, probably not the, the best idea. I've seen no. a few of those hanging around, that's for sure. I mean, if, if you're wild carding like Jeff, or if you're kind of in a non-chip uh, playing sort of mode, I think definitely a few players, like as you said, the, the, the Leicester players could be ones worth looking at. Um, and Madison or Harvey Barnes could be worth just looking at if you're not looking to kind of bulk up on double game week players. They've got three unscheduled games. They've got a game in game week 30. It saves you a transfer to buy a player like that right now. Um, and Madison's the only Leicester player to break 100 points, scored tonight off the bench, um, and potentially Vardy too. I think he might be, you know, if he would do free hitting game week 30, he could probably be the biggest rank threat because I think he'd be the biggest captain for people who are free hitting then. I think the casual core will look at that and kind of think, oh, I haven't got many players. Oh, I've got a free hit. I'm going to do that. That's going to be what I do. I probably share your kind of reticence on the uh, the Villa players, to be honest. I mean, maybe Coutinho is a bit of an obvious pickup for a few people. Uh, West Ham the next week um, perhaps isn't as great. But nonetheless, he's very easy to move out for a Madison or something like that. So it could be a very good kind of two-week pickup. I don't mind Newcastle players, as I said. And uh, I suppose you know we, we've got we've got a bit of information to get on the FA Cup um, uh, as we stand now, um, but elsewhere, I mean, Rafinha is a great example of a player that you're probably picking up on a wild card. Um, he'd be certainly nailed to us on a wild card for me because he's got, got double game week. He's got Norwich and game week 29, and he's got a game week 30 fixture. I think that's probably you know, the holy trinity, really, of a pickup. Um, there's a, maybe a cheap Wolves defender, as Nick mentioned, maybe one or two. Um, maybe Siren goal, again, with a double, a bench, uh, perhaps in game week uh, in game week 29, but they've got Everton, so it's probably okay, uh, plus their game week 30 fixture. So there's a lot kind of going on there i suppose <laughs> in 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 the next double game week and a lot of it seems to be about managing risk um as we've seen this free hit in game week 28 uh, uh sorry in game week 27 how much should we really be folding towards a fairly mere double game week should we be full prey to people who are kind of hyping up the players because they tend to have a double game week? And Nick, you mentioned earlier on about um, maybe Jimenez being one of those you're a bit not sure about. Probably that's right, isn't it? Maybe he's the sort of player who people are looking at thinking, oh, he's got two home fixtures. He's a striker. Um, He could be well worth uh, including, but he's been low-key pretty crap for a long time. But nonetheless, you know, could you do that honest gym sort of thing over two weeks? Crystal Palace and Watford at home. Would you bet against them getting you know, five points in each of those games and being there for a 20-point captain? I don't know. It, either way, I just feel like it's a very underwhelming double game week in a lot of ways. I think 29 is obviously very good because you've got Liverpool, you've got Arsenal, you've got quite a few players who are doing it. 
Chelsea are probably the big kind of wild cards of this double game week. If they get one, and we can't speak to that right now. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely, I, I'm envious for a free hit on some levels, but on other levels, I'm not that envious. And, and uh, let's kind of just do transfers and captains now. Um, and Nick, maybe it's worth just running for your team one more time and kind of just telling us a little bit about um, your general sort of mix that you've got. Yeah, sure. So, as I said, I don't actually have any Chelsea players in there at the moment because there's not been a double confirmed, but it will be subject to change, certainly, if that Chelsea double is confirmed. So, currently in goal, I've got Sa, um, and then uh, also got Sice from Wolves in defence alongside Trent and Luca Dean in midfield. I've gone for the five man midfield of Son, Salah, Willock, Ramsey, and Coutinho. And then a double Southampton attack of Adams and Broya, uh, just to round up the team on the bench. I've still got Foster, the sort of backup goalkeeper, uh, Cancelo, uh, Bednarek, probably didn't change that to Livermento. And good old Emmanuel Dennis, couldn't get rid of him. So I just put him there as the third sub. If he has to be called upon, he's there. Or maybe it's just to win the Sterling Shield this year. You've got too much money to spend, though. I mean, I, I kind of feel That's like problem. I, I feel like you could have a cane instead of, you know, one of the Southampton strikers. I feel, I feel like that's uh, something you could do. Or as Anthony mentioned earlier on, playing Cancelo and just kind of just changing it to be someone that you're not worried about benching could be worth doing. Um, I mean, Rafinha, I, I suppose, is probably the big miss here because, like, all right, Jesse marches in. The translator has been sacked unceremoniously, so it could be, you know, pinning voodoo dolls all over the place to see Leeds lose two in a row. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, surely Jesse Marsh is going to come in and kind of think, well, Rafinha is probably my best way of keeping my team up and making sure I keep my job. So the next two games could be worth owning Rafinha for, right? Yeah, potentially. I mean, certainly the Norwich game looks pretty good in 29. I don't, I don't know. There's, there's so many different players you can try and fit in. Yeah, Leicester yeah. And Aston Villa. It's an all right double, isn't it? It's an all right one, but I'm actually more interested in the teams that are playing Leeds. That's why I've kind of gone for this sort of Aston Villa pivot. Perhaps I'm putting my hopes in the wrong team. Oh, Maybe I'll could, shift it could, around could, a little bit. But, you could you yeah. could do Ward Prowse as well over one of the, the, mm. the strikers and just kind of hope for that kind of top bins, free kick, Hail Mary. Yeah, but then there's no other forwards that I want. That's the thing you mentioned, Kane. I've already got Son in there. Um, you know, as I said, Jimenez, I'm not sold out. I'm not sold on you. Maybe I'll go for like a sort of a four five one approach, perhaps, and just have a, a solitary shape. Uh, the the uh, they've only got a single game, we know. That's the point. I'm trying to attack the I'm trying to okay. attack the double. So yeah. I suppose you're you're attacking the game week. If you take the double aspect out of it, you're definitely getting in a differential if you go for one of those Leicester forwards. That's an option, but yeah, I think Vardy's still coming back from injury as well. I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, probably not one of those. It'll take him a while. And I think even you know when they got the doubles, he's going to play one of them, isn't he? Because he's you know, older than us. So, dear me, can he play both those games? Who knows? Maybe Thiago Silva will. Maybe Vardy will. Maybe they'll surprise us by very much doubt it. All right. Uh, Anthony, or is it me? No, it's Anthony. Uh, where are you sat? Like so, this I'm not going to be free hitting or anything like it in this coming game week, and so I guess I'm kind of I find myself continually uh, backed into the corner that I set myself up for 
long, long ago at this point um, with poor decisions. And so Foster in goal has a double game week at least, um, benching De Gea. Uh, a back four that I'm relatively content with. I brought in Saiz knowing that this uh, double game week was coming for him and he has good fixtures. Cancelo, who I'm happy to keep there and won't be benching. I have Veltman, who's away to Newcastle. And to be honest, Veltman has actually been a disaster in many different ways for me since I brought him into my team. And uh, he's actually kind of on ice there. And then I have Trent Alexander-Arnold as well, who will be very happy to keep in it. In, in midfield right now, I've got Salah, and I just have the captaincy sitting on him, kind of as a, at least as a placeholder. But I might go for someone else. Like I'd be actually quite tempted to go for Saiz um, this game week, and he's probably the the most likely captain for me right now, considering I'm look I'm at a rank of 562k. I I might as well. Then uh, the rest of my midfielders, I have uh, Bowen away to Liverpool, as we were talking about. He's another player who feels on ice for me and could move on, only that I also have Bruno Fernandes. And whilst I was talking up Fernandes and his FPL prospects generally, indeed, United's, because they do, like in some ways, look quite good. In other ways, they look not good enough at all. Um, uh, but Bruno just feels to me like the most likely of the United players to kind of get going. And so selling him on maybe feels foolish in some ways, but in other ways, he is the reason why, for example, I don't have someone like San in my side. And I think maybe in the overall scheme of things, that's what I need to rectify. And so that would be the more likely transfer is to find a way to get Son in. Yeah. If that means selling Fernandez, fair enough. Saka as well, I have in midfield. He's going to stay there. And then up top, I have Broya and Dennis right now, leaving me with a bench of Veghorst, Alan and Laporte. I'm happy. I like. I could double up on this um, this uh, City defence. And to be perfectly honest with you, I think it might be a grand plan. But uh, I just haven't got myself set up to do that right now. I'd love to get a different forward in, but as Nick was kind of going through, there's just no really good option there. Like, okay, I could go to Adams, but I, I kind of feel like I'd be just rearranging deck chairs there. The likes of you know, the Leicester lads, like a Daka or someone who is playing regularly lately, would be interesting because he plays that Leeds game. But mm, like, is Operation Target Leeds going to be continue to be a go under Jesse March under new management with a new manager bounce? I'm I'm not sure. I, I think it will be to be honest because I always I've I felt that that Leeds team was seriously overperforming with you know largely a Championship first eleven at the moment with their injuries, and I'm I'm not sure what sort of miracle Jesse March can really work. Like he is suited to the squad and he's suited to adapt Bielsa's tactics. I just wonder if the tools that he has at his disposal right now. Are good enough to turn things around and like Leicester need to get momentum going if they're a to keep their manager and b if they're to get anywhere near um achieving something this season even if they just want to have uh, momentum as they run through in europe uh and this is a pretty good chance for them to kind of do that and so i, I do think mm. with their fixtures with their doubles to come as well like getting in a Leicester player wouldn't necessarily be a bad idea so I, i'm weighing that up as well so san is my number one priority a, a risky captain perhaps saiz um, but largely, I'm not going to do anything major to this side. Yeah, exactly. And uh, can Jesse Marge uninjure on, on the key players? Mm, don't know about that one. And finally for me, um, I don't know what the manifestations of the moves I'm making are quite yet because I'm not sure how 28 or 29 is going to look. The FA Cup games or everything, really. Uh, it could be Salah Captain, could be a double game weaker like Rafinha. If I buy him, it shouldn't make sense to do so, like I said earlier. Or maybe even you know, Jimenez or uh, Coutinho, um, if I buy one of them. Or maybe even Shea Adams, if I go mad and buy him. I, mean, I know the results of the rest to know. Um, there's cockroaches I've got here, uh, King and Edouard. I need to probably 
squash Edouard this week. I might bench King as I've got in the setup here. Um, as I could have in the setup here, sorry. Um, for his double, I don't know. And the Buendia experiment sadly has come to an end. There's lots of configurations for what I could do, but yeah, there's, there's very little I'm going to probably do. I'm probably going to take a minus four max. Um, probably going to have five double game weekers. So Foster, King, uh, sorry, Foster, Kilman, uh, Dean, and whoever I replace Buendia and Edouard with, and that would give me the five. Um, maybe you know Jimenez and Willock, something like that. And I have six single game weekers: uh, Trent, Robertson, and Salah from Liverpool, Cancelo, Sakabas, Watford, and Kane. And I'm probably going to bench King because I'm probably going to replace Edouard and just get rid of that guy. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I mean, the, the, the captaincy is probably a bit of an interesting one, as we've all kind of alluded to. I may well just leave it on Salah, to be honest. Um, unless I bring in somebody that I particularly care about, but I, I just kind of feel like it's such an underwhelming double game week that captaining Salah against West Ham and just kind of expecting that he's going to get his customary seven or eight probably will be enough. Right, let's move into the sentimental mushy stuff. Um, feel free to end the pod here if you don't want to hear any of this, but hopefully you do. Hopefully you never. <laughs> oh boy right 200 200 here we are 200 pod reflections so it's been a long time hasn't it both of you especially nick i feel like i've lost count of all the pods up until now i think i took i spent ages kind of removing a few pods where it was kind of just like oh sorry there's no pod this week or whatever to come 200 this week and i feel like if somebody said to me you know What's your favourite pod? Because it's all kind of mushed into one after a while. Every week we do this and it kind of it all ends up being kind of like one thing. I really struggle. I may, maybe nominate the Behavioral Science Summer Pod special with Anthony this year. They were, my... they were, they were top notch. The Behavioral Science one especially was just so, so much fun, I think. Mm-hmm. I think in, in general, I'm just very proud that we've stuck to the principles we started with and continue with you, Anthony, and things like that. You know, evidence-based conversation, which doesn't rely on perception or overt bias, providing all the information without advising to do this, that, the other. I mean, basically, going to teach you how to fish rather than giving you a fish. Why should you consider buying this player rather than which player should I pick? Usual stuff. I mean, obviously, times have changed. I've got less time to into this now and obviously co-hosts have come and gone i mean anthony were leaving today nick um obviously things changed too but i fundamentally enjoy it still most of the time <laughs> and it's been such a nice addition to my life i suppose i mean we're no we're no longer the hot kids on the block we're now the old men with uh terrible beards not looking at you nick <laughs> who've been here for a while uh but um it's been really interesting to see that transition take place made loads of good friends and i think just you know it's a thankless task. I'm the kind of guy who can be there at 1am on Twitter going, oh, I'm working so late on FPL. Oh, look at me. Oh, woe is me. I mean, I can't imagine how many hours have actually gone into it. But I think as long as your average listener enjoys it, then to some extent that's good enough for me, yeah, basically. Uh, Nick, I mean, you've been on, I think actually Nicola is the number one appearer on, I think she's appeared on 200 out of 200 pods. So please congratulate her this tomorrow morning. Uh, but how do you feel about reaching 200? Yeah, she's got that 100% record, hasn't she? <laughs> yeah. Very impressive. There from the, the, the start. The Connor Cody um, of WGTA. Basically, yeah, getting that six points week in, week out. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's an amazing achievement. And, you know, especially shout out to yourself, Tom. I know you've spent many a late night 
kind of working on the pod, drinking copious amounts of stouts, editing all our <laughs> screw ups and all our mess ups to actually make it seem like we're talking sense most of the time. So yeah, you've, you've done an excellent job and obviously organizing everything uh, week in, week out, you know, the pod wouldn't be here without you. So yeah, congratulations on the 200 and uh, congratulations obviously to yourself, Anthony, sort of taking up the mantle in, in my absence and then we'll get on uh, to your goodbye section in a little bit but yeah it certainly feels like a little bit of an end of an era podcast a little bit special so it's, it's great to kind of have us all here for this for this momentous occasion yeah it's like like it's, it's five years in july the the pod's been going obviously you know 200 it's pretty much four years on that um but by the time you actually get in terms of calendar years uh it's uh july or june is going to bring you to the full five years of the pod so that like that like that's an incredible amount of longevity i guess in a a sphere that is actually emerging as well like we we talk about this as if you know we say we joke with the old men of fpl and i even throw myself into that given i've been content creating in fpl since 2015 um (laughs) it's like seven years of my life like i don't i've not done anything for seven years i haven't even attended the same school for seven years because you move (laughs) through so it's um it's kind of incredible um you know the amount of time there is and yet still this is something that is still emerging. The content continues to get better. The sphere continues to grow. The number of people that are in it continues to grow. And I guess to maintain relevance in this is it's a real, uh, it's a credit to the two of ye lads for starting it. Tom for like <laughs> continuing to like shepherd it through the dark nights, um, editing it and stuff. It, it's it's not easy to do. Um, having done a bit of editing of it myself, especially when you were in Australia and seldom really outside of that um it's it's not easy to do it it takes a lot of dedication and so just like fair play to you for doing it and uh thanks again as well for having me uh as part of it all right well let's move on to anthony goodbye so uh sad, sadly this is the, the last pod where anthony is the co-host i'm sure he'll be back eventually just show up tell us how he's doing with renewed fervor i'm sure he'll be be like, oh, you know, well, I'm I'm top ten k this year. Yeah, so, watch, watch that happen. The curse will just leave me, and then I will just suddenly ascend to the top one k, and we'll all be like, wow, what happened to that guy? Yeah, <laughs> Harry, who's coming on next week, he texted me saying, yeah, I've I've got a red arrow on a free hit, and Ducey's been having a terrible few weeks, so I think it's it's definitely a curse. Um, but I mean, for, for your leaving, we've got a few things. So we've got a few people who have written in, a few people who have sent messages as well for you. Um, I've got a couple that i'm going to play to you uh, from a fellow irishman actually um, who have taken upon themselves to send you a voice message the first one is from paddy um at fpl viking um and uh, this is what he said well stag the time has come to say goodbye or maybe just see you later i heard you're getting a bit high for the fucking dirty mispronunciations and look at the start i was a wee bit sad but I know Tom has to do what's right for the podcast, and I know that you'll accept it. But uh, see you later, brother, and um, see you soon for a night paint a start. Good luck. Lovely of him to do that. That's great. Actually, credit to King as well, just with the work he's been doing with his um, raising money for, I think it's uh, Irish Cancer Society and his his swims every single day. I think he hit the year anniversary there lately of having swam in the sea every single day. Like. That, that, that's incredible and uh, fair play to him and all the work that he's doing and thanks to him for I guess for sending that in as well yep. and uh, Steve who was on last week FPL Ferry sent through this 
Hi guys, just a note to wish my fellow Irishman FPL Stag all the best following his retirement from the Who Got the Assist podcast. You've done your country proud over the past few seasons, Anthony, and no <laughs> doubt listeners from all around the world will miss your uh, pronunciation of words for Tom and Nick. Looking forward to a few points of Guinness later this year. <laughs> Our friend Alan, that's what you can do, Zan. I'll always remember him as the man who brought down many top manager of his Duffy triple caps in brainwashing. <laughs> it was the most <laughs> diabolical scheme ever enacted. Thanks, Alan. Yeah, Chris Noll, uh, uh, Nolly uh, said, Anthony's been great in the pod. Good chemistry between the two of you, and I always enjoyed his ramblings. Uh, Alex Ball, um, who's been on the pod a few times, said, I always enjoyed the email session he brought in. What was it called, Tom? <laughs> he loved the fact that you, I wasn't entirely 100% sure about it which Anthony played on maybe we should continue it um, in Anthony's honour um, Stag's correspondence corner he, he reckons Stag in the corner Ant's emails <laughs> some <laughs> central things maybe to workshop that more <laughs> yeah maybe maybe um, at Bananas Mananado Matt said this isn't particularly uh, uh, funny but he said that when we went on our Slack Zoom party he was struck by how curious Anthony was about other people um, being free sheets of the wind may have promoted it so obviously none of you know this but when we did like a Slack meetup uh, during the pandemic and Anthony had two bottles of wine during that period <laughs> um, but Matt said he was struck by uh, how genuinely interested he was in what other people did and what they thought about things and he said that I admire his intellectual curiosity and interpersonal kind of capacities and he said that's sadly a bit too uncommon um to be interested in what people think and do and um, so he will miss you on the pub wow can, can, can matt write like a thing for my linkedin <laughs> <laughs> thanks man yes. that's really kind of you <laughs> uh, a friend of the pod adam pritchard wrote in and said in terms of the earnest uh, stag's dry wit was always the perfect of the pod his approach to, to representing data and his analysis in a, in a clear way and made it comprehensible to laddites like me Plus, his dulcet Irish tones helped soften the blow on occasion. He ridiculed the planned transfer I'd already thought of. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. Uh, one further thing Seek and Duzan would want to say is that um, the other genuine thing I would say is that what's always struck me about Anthony is his patriotism. Patriotism has somewhat been co-opted by the right wing across the world these days, but Stag has always been able to be proud of being Irish by being a decent guy. And I love how much he hates Jack Grealish. <laughs> throw Declan Rice into that as well yeah, yeah. Rice, <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh thanks yeah. yeah that actually is something that's kind of important to me though is that I've always kind of enjoyed being able to represent Irish interests in some way uh, on the podcast like there aren't that many people who kind of would speak about like the Irish players and put like an extra focus on them and whilst it's largely FPL irrelevant I do enjoy kind of making sure that people know you know how Adam Eda is is you know doing something good at Norwich or you know if Matt Doherty has like anything something significant at all happening I'll, I'll throw his name in or Seamus Coleman so, or whoever else oh, it might be yeah Oba Femi is your favourite Femi yeah that, that was a much harder one to try and justify to be honest it was like a good five million forward Oba Femi uh, and then just you know crickets <laughs> he's irish if you're right i mean thanks to you i know how to say coivin kelleher so yeah uh, there we uh, go we, we might have to do that one again <laughs> <laughs> that but was, at least yeah. some of them are looking at and going chow mean yeah coivin's Qu- Qu- uh weekend Quivine, well in the carabao cup final yeah like the start of queen and then veen yeah a friend of the pods um, who's on the on the pod probably a few months ago now james corolt said look it's hard to come up with a few things uh, to say really he says he certainly f- hopes that 
Anthony finds time to return to podcasting in the future, as I think is a natural. Always enjoyed listening to listening to him talk FPL, even before he joined FP, WTA as a host. So he'll be definitely missed. Um, he said that, that he was lucky to be with us on his podcast and debut. That we were in, he was in very safe hands uh, for that podcast. That's that's very nice to James. And James is absolutely flying this year. He was tenth in the mini league there earlier and is making a good run at uh, winning the whole entire lot of FPL this year. Might be a little bit out of reach, but hopefully he can get there. He's flying the flag well for the pod. Yeah, tenth in the mini league. Um, Chris, um, FPL Janino. Well, it's finally happened. Tom has fulfilled his long ambition <laughs> to kill the correspondence corner. <laughs> he, he said he's he's greatly enjoyed uh, Anthony's run on the podcast. His dry wit and love of audacious FPL punts which are doomed to pale uh tc duffy has made a natural fit now he's stepped back from regular podding hopefully the curse of fpl content provider will be lifted from him and he hopes to listen to you again uh, from his guest spots and he literally cannot get away from the idea of you disappearing away of sailing away on the boat and he hopes you enjoy law going forward <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, maybe I will end up sailing away in the future to <laughs> to uh, see something else. But uh, for now, yeah, I'll be very much ensconced in offices um, and definitely following me with the FPL. And yeah, I never actually said it to any of those. Like, I will definitely get back on um, as a guest when you guys will have me at some point in the future. I look forward to it. Goop says Anthony has <laughs> been great to listen to. He said he could listen to those Hibernian tones all day long. He said what he loves about Stag is that he plays his own game. Way too many pods are samey with a team agreeing with each other, ad nauseam, but Stag has his own style. It's often a bit maverick, but he backs himself. He's always got great rationale for his picks, and it's great to hear the Stag's take, uh, which was your Rotowall thing, I think, elevated from written to oral form. A very nice guy, hardworking, and he wishes him all the best with his real life uh, going forward. And he hopes, again, that your podcast, The Curse, is going to be lifted after this. <laughs> Thanks very much, Goose. Nice of him to write in with that. Yeah, it is. Um, hopefully the curse is lifted because seriously, it has actually been a thing. Like I've, I've seldom ran a good season when I've been on the pod. It's been a total disaster. Um, it is it is genuinely a thing where you really get into your own head and we, we've all experienced it. And uh, it's, it's hard. And, and fair play to the lads that are able to create content weekly and still maintain like the super high rank uh doing it so often it is actually very difficult to do so yeah tom campbell um says he's always grateful for anthony for stepping in to help the podcast there's a love way of expressing things we could all learn a thing or two from him about how to not be too hard on ourselves when things don't work out he says i personally love the correspondence section it's in keeping with wca is all about and i hope his legacy continues on with that feature <laughs> <laughs> what, what what a legacy yeah I got, I got good at not being hired on myself from an FPL context uh, TC I think that's what's part of it <laughs> and finally John that FPL brain says he always enjoyed listening to Anthony and the natural rapport um, he had uh, between you me and Nick he has a calm way of talking about FPL that gives usual info but he's very easy to listen to and I also found he has a strong sense of perspective i.e. that FPL is a hobby you will enjoy but it's not life and death a smart, likeable chap who comes across just a good person. He might not be. He might be drowning puppies on the weekend for all I know. But that's how he sounds to me. I'm sure he's a great guy to sit and have a pint with. Maybe his FPL outcomes have not been great, but who cares? <laughs> I'd love to get that point with the gang as well. It's it's one of those things that almost it's a bit of a regret that in the time I've been a host of the pod, most of it has been pandemic adult. So I haven't been able to attend any meetups in that time. And I, I do look forward to grabbing a pint with these people. Even if I'm not a host, I hope they'll... Um, have me about for a pint at some point over in um probably meet you guys over in london at some point nick still haven't even met you in person so (laughs) 
it, it would be nice to meet you in person at some point but yeah just to reiterate what the other people have said I think you've, you've been a joy to podcast alongside and and when I left the pod I, I knew that the pod was in like incredibly safe hands and you, I think you just kind of fit into the flow of the pod and working alongside myself and Tom just really seamlessly like you've been there the whole time and and helped us with all our translate you know all the translation pronunciations of the Irish names and everything <laughs> so uh you know, I think it's certainly apt and with Matt Doherty that he's actually had such an amazing performance just in, in your final week of the, the podcast. And yeah, you'll, you'll certainly be greatly missed and uh, hope, uh, you know, move on to, to better and bigger things. Ah, Jesus, no, I'll be back. I'll be back. It's, it's kind of felt like um, I've died or something having all those read out. You know, isn't there that quote about you, know, you, you, you die twice <laughs> you once when you draw your last breath and the, the other time when no one says your name again? <laughs> it's like, have I got a third one in here <laughs> when you retire from FPL podcasting? <laughs> but uh, thanks so much to Nick and Tom for your kind words and everyone else who wrote in as well. It's been, it's been a real thrill to be part of the pod um, as much as I have been in the last few years as a guest before and then coming on as a co-host as well a, a really great opportunity and one that i hope uh, the gang who were coming after me will really treasure it too because it is definitely a privilege to be a on the pod and b to reach as many people's ears as we do uh, when we're on this pod each week and people do listen to us and people really listen to us in depth as well like you sometimes see the the comments or tweets or dms or whatever you get about like a small point that you might have raised and someone cops on to the detail so you, you know that you're being listened to and that i guess makes you do your research and make sure that you have the data to back up your points and that's really important that's something that this pod you know tries to do as much as possible um but it's also a real privilege i guess to be under that sort of scrutiny and analysis uh when you're doing the pod so yeah thanks guys Cool. Well, I think that's probably everything uh, this week. Uh, thanks for listening. We were Who Got the Assist? Um, yeah, WTA underscore FPL. Thanks, Anthony, uh, for joining me uh, for uh, 60 podcasts as it is. Um, yeah, I'll certainly miss you on the podcast, that's for sure. Um, and hopefully we'll have you back on very, very soon. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Tom. Yeah. And thank you, Nick. It's been, it's been good. Thank you. Yeah, certainly, and it's uh, nice to be back. But yeah, um, Tom will be moving forward with uh, with Harry and, and Lucy later on as well. So, got yeah, exciting time. Not, not the end of the pod. Not the end of the pod. End of an era, certainly to some extent. But nonetheless, um, the pod and WGCA uh, will go on. Hope Sister Jew uh, this week talk about a lot of things, uh, be it the risk profile, a bit double game week going forward. I'll speak to you with FPL Harry next week, who starts his end of season stint. I think it'll be midweek um, through game 28. So before uh, midweek take a set of fixtures, but after Monday. Uh, but in the meantime, Hope Sister Jew, I'll speak to you very, very soon. Goodbye. Woo, you're done, Anthony. You're done. Get out of it. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Slams the door. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.